Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. Good morning and welcome again. We're very grateful for your presence. We appreciate Brother Raymond leading us in these beautiful hymns today. We're very grateful for his ability and his willingness to lead. And we're thankful that you're here. And we are extremely thankful to have a beautiful day. It's nice to see the sunshine again. And so, if you're visiting with us, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us. If you are looking for a church home, we want to encourage you to consider the work here. I know that the elders would be more than happy to talk to you about the many opportunities for service in this congregation, as well as in this community. It's our desire to be a light in this world and in the Olive Branch area. We're going to be looking at the book of Ezekiel today, and we're going to note verse 7, specifically of chapter 33. I want to begin by reading to you the first seven verses of Ezekiel chapter 33. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. All of us who are New Testament Christians, we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. John tells us in 1 John chapter 5 at verse 19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world in which you and I live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. And thus we have a responsibility to speak in the name of Christ, to those who are lost and dying in sin. Our responsibility, our job, is to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we have before us the Word of God. We call it the Bible. And God's Word is a very powerful instrument that has the ability to pierce the hardest of hearts. When Paul wrote to the saints at Rome, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I want us to think for a moment or two today about the theme, the watchman on the wall. And in a spiritual sense, all of us, in some capacity, to some extent, serve as a watchman on the wall. We have a responsibility. That responsibility is to warn those who are lost and dying in sin of the consequences of their lifestyle and thus to encourage them 
to turn to the Lord. The first thing I want to call your attention to is the assignment of the watchman. And really, what this has to do is it sets forth his role, his, his intentions on behalf of the Lord. Let's think for a moment about the mandate that has been given to the watchman. And as we look at this particular point, the first thing I want to stress to you is God's will for the wicked. And I think we have to understand this in light of the role of a watchman. And so drop down if you would, and note what it said in verses 10 and 11. God said, Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, or waste away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O, o house of Israel. What we need to understand is that God's will, God's desire for the wicked is that they would turn, that they would see the light. And thus you and I, we have the responsibility, we have the privilege of helping them see the light. Now the Bible tells us over and over that God is concerned about the state of those who are in an unsaved condition. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4, the Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9, Peter said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then we hear Jesus saying in John 3:16, the golden text of the Bible, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The world was under condemnation. Jesus came to save those of us who belong to the body of Christ. Our goal, our plea, is to those who are lost in sin to obey the gospel, to enjoy the blessings of forgiveness. And so, God's will for the wicked. But then, I want you to think for just a moment about God's warning to the wicked. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, God said to Ezekiel, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. Well, what was the mandate to the watchman? Well, it was to warn people. To sound the trumpet, if you please. To sound the siren, to let people know their spiritual condition. And you and I, we have that same responsibility today. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the gospel of Christ. The gospel is what liberates people from sin and death. Unless we take that message and share it with the lost, what's going to happen? They're going to be lost. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 at verse 12 that those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord, that they are without hope and without God in this world. That's the state 
of lost humanity. What then is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to take the gospel to them. Now think for a moment about people in our world today. Think about our society. We live in a day and time in which people have accepted what might be called a pluralistic mindset. And the idea is it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter in whom you believe. As long as you believe, as long as you're happy, and, and as long as you're comfortable in, in your set of beliefs, then, then that's okay. You have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, and we're not going to infringe upon one another. What we have to warn people about is this. Jesus is the only way. There are not many ways, but rather there is an only way. Here's what the Lord said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, in John 14, at verse 6. Luke records in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation under, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If men and women are going to be saved, they have to be saved in and through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means there is no hope in Islam. Just recently, Louis Farrakhan came to this city and spoke, I assume, to hundreds of people. Well, he is an advocate of the religion of Islam. And yet the Bible says Jesus is the only way. Islam does not and will not save. It can't save. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today that they might, they might agree with that. But what, they, what, what we need to understand is Islam doesn't save, nor does Buddhism, nor does Hinduism. None of these religions are what we read about in the New Testament. They are man-made religions. They are not God-made. Now, maybe there are some that would agree with that. But let me just take it a step further. Not only is there no hope in Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, there is no hope in Judaism. There are a lot of people in our world today, particularly in this country, they have the idea that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are God's chosen people. The chosen people of God today is the church. We are the Israel of God based on what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. Those who belong to the Israel of God are those who have obeyed the gospel and they belong to the body of Christ, the church of Christ. No hope in Judaism. Nor is there any hope in Catholicism. Catholicism is not found in the pages of the New Testament. We say that lovingly, kindly, but we say it in truth. Nowhere in the New Testament do we read of a papacy nor do we read of those who function as cardinals. Nor do we read in the, in the New Testament about Mary, the mother of Jesus, serving as a mediator on our behalf. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's no hope in Catholicism. But listen, there's no hope in denominationalism either. Why? Because denominationalism did not come into being until some 1,500 years after the church was established on Pentecost Day by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the one who established 
and built the church. He purchased the church with his own blood based on what Paul said in Acts chapter 20 at verse 28. And so we have to tell people Jesus is the only way. We have to warn people about that. But then I think about people in our world today that want to be politically correct. Look at how, look at how laws are enacted in Washington. And how people today are saying that you can't say this or you can't say that because if you do so, you might offend somebody. Or how individuals in Washington and our legislators and lawmakers are saying that we're not at liberty to infringe upon the rights of others. Well, in no, in no way do we ever desire to encroach upon the rights of others. But there's a difference between being politically correct and being biblically correct. Those who advocate, who advocate being politically correct would say that homosexuality is acceptable in the eyes of God. But here's what God said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11, That homosexuals shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do people need to be warned about that? Absolutely. Why? Because there are a lot of people that have bought into this lifestyle. There are any number of people in our world today that are advocating that it's acceptable in the eyes of God to live in this way. And think about the numerous religious bodies that have accepted into their fold and into their organizational structure those who are practicing homosexuals. It's not about being politically correct. It's about being biblically correct. Well, who's going to warn those people? What about in our country today? Our country says it's acceptable if a person chooses to terminate a pregnancy, that they can do that. In 1973, abortion was legalized. Millions upon millions of innocent children have been put to death in our country. Well, who's going to warn people that abortion is wrong? The Bible says God hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood in Proverbs chapter 6. That's not what I said. That's what God said. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're more concerned with being politically correct rather than being biblically correct. And I would just say this, that the same term that is used to describe the baby in the womb is used to describe the baby out of the womb in the New Testament. God, in His Word, protects the unborn child. And yet there are a lot of people today that say that if you, if you have a pregnancy and, and you don't want to see that baby uh, through the through the duration of that pregnancy, that you can terminate it. Well, the Bible sees that unborn fetus as a living soul. And so we have to warn people. That's our responsibility. We have to warn people about social issues. Think for a moment about one of the ads that is very prevalent in our society today or in our country, booze it and lose it. What are they saying? They're saying that if you booze it and you drink and drive, what's going to happen? You're going to lose your license. You may even do some jail time. Well, here's what God said. You booze it and you'll lose it. He's not talking about jail time there. He's talking about your eternal soul. He's saying if you booze it, you'll lose it. How do I know that? Because in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the Bible says that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that may not be politically correct, but that's what the Bible says. So what we want to do is warn people. Now, I said that there is a mandate given to the watchman. But then also there is a message 
of the watchman. Note again verse 7. See you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. When the watchman warned people, he was not warning them with a message that originated with himself. But rather, it was a God-given message. It was a divine message. God said, I want you to take my message, which you'll hear from my mouth, and then impart that to others. Do we then not have a responsibility to share the gospel of Christ? Absolutely. When Paul told Timothy to preach the word, he said, I want you to preach that word in season and out of season. It is a divine word. Paul also said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that every scripture, all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The word that we're preaching comes to us from Almighty God. That's why we have to share the gospel. When I sit down and talk to people about, uh, about their salvation or about their soul, I'm not telling them what I think or, or I'm, not, I'm not sharing with them what the opinions of mankind may be, but rather my responsibility is to share with them the word of the living God. Now, not only is this message divine, it is direct. Ever thought about how direct the Word of God is? It's not a transparent, me it, rather, it is a transparent message. No hidden agendas here. Rather, God in His Word is extremely direct in what He says. Just a moment ago, I said that we have to tell people Jesus is the only way. Well, God wasn't vague and abstract about that, but rather God said in His Word, this is what you need to do if you want to become one of my children. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He went on to say that those who do not eat of His bread and drink of His flesh, they do not have everlasting life. In other words, if they do not come to the Christ, the Lord's saying, if you don't come to me, then you don't have life. Well, we talk about the directness of the Word of God. Look again at what God said to Ezekiel in the long ago. Beginning in verse 10, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you, shall, thus you shall say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God's interested in saving people. God's interested in the salvation of the souls of people. He's in the saving business. And what He wants people to know is, Look, you may be lost, but you can be saved. He's very direct about that. Now, having said that, let's note secondly of the accountability of the watchman. And this really has to do with his responsibility. There is a God-given responsibility resting upon the shoulders of all of us. We are, in a sense, a watchman on behalf of God. We have the responsibility of telling people about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, with that in mind... Let's think first, about, first of all about those who are dedicated to this task. Drop down if you would and note beginning in verse 9. In verse 9, God said, Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. What's God saying 
to the prophet here. He's saying, if you go out and you sound the alarm, you tell people, this is my word, this is what, this is what God has said, and you let them know what's coming, then you have, you've, you've fulfilled your responsibility. You have discharged, you've been diligent in your duty. The blood's not on your hands. Now let me give you an example of that in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, we have a record of the Apostle Paul standing before the elders of the church. He was in Miletus. He called for the elders of the church from Ephesus to come and to meet with him. And he recounted the time that he had spent with them. And one of the things that he points out to these people is that he had kept back nothing that was helpful or profitable to them while he stayed with them and ministered unto them. Now down at about verse 26, he said, I am free from the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What was Paul saying to these people? Paul was simply saying that the time that I spent with you, I preached to you the unsearchable riches of Christ. I set forth the whole counsel of God. I talked to you about those things that are pleasant, I talked, about, I talked to you about those things that maybe are not pleasant. I admonished you. I warned you. I encouraged you. I comforted you. I fulfilled my responsibility. His responsibility was what? To share the Word of God. And so he said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He prefaced that by saying, I am free. I am innocent of the blood of God of all men. And what he was saying was this. If those people in Ephesus abandoned the Lord, went back to the world, if they apostatized, the blood wasn't on his hands. He had fulfilled his responsibility. Our job is to sow the seed of the kingdom. Our job is to share the gospel of Christ. My job is to preach the gospel in season, out of season. When people like it, and as Brother Keeble said, when they don't like it. But that's my responsibility. In James chapter 3 at verse 1, James said, Be not many teachers, knowing that we, were, we will receive the stricter or heavier judgment. Now James is not saying there that we should not aspire to be teachers, that we shouldn't desire to teach and to preach the gospel of Christ. We know we're to be teachers. We know that we are to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. But what he's saying there is that those who share the word have a sense of responsibility resting upon them. We're responsible for what we teach. Let me just also add this. Sometimes it's not so much what we say as what we don't say. There are a lot of people that may, that may claim to be preachers. Well, let's just, let's just talk about the church. There may be guys that are in the pulpit today who wear the title of a preacher or a gospel, a gospel minister and yet, the lessons that they share could be proclaimed in any denomination in town. Well, did they teach error? No. It's not what they did say, it's what they do not say. They don't warn people. They don't tell people about some of the weightier matters that are set forth in the Word of God. And so, with that in mind, we think about those who are dedicated to the task of warning. But then, note if you would, those who are derelict in this task. 
Look at verse 8. Here's what God said to Ezekiel. He was to warn the people. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. What's God saying to Ezekiel? He's saying, Ezekiel, if you don't warn the people, if you don't share my word with these people and let them know what's coming, I'm going to hold you responsible. The blood is on your hands. When I stand before God on the day of judgment, I want to stand before Him knowing that I, to the best of my ability, shared the Word of God, that I declared the whole counsel of God, that I preached the Word without fear and without favor. Now, when we talk about application, let me just read for you very quickly a couple of stanzas from a, from a, from a song that we sing from time to time, and in my humble estimation, it is one of the most haunting songs in our hymn book. The title of the song, You Never Mentioned Him to Me. The first stanza. When in the better land before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls will be if any lost one there should cry in deep, in deep despair, you never mentioned him to me. Stanza two. Oh, let us spread the word where'er it may be heard. Help groping souls the light to see that yonder none may say, You showed me not the way. You never mentioned him to me. A few sweet words may guide a lost one to his side. O oh, turn sad eyes on Calvary. So work as days go by that yonder none may cry, You never mentioned him to me. And then the chorus. You never mentioned him to me. You helped me not the light to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray, yet never mentioned him to me. Let me just ask this question. How many people do we come in contact with every day? At the grocery? At the bank? When we're paying our utility bills? At school? On the job? Across the fence? The ball field, how many people do we come in contact with every day? We talk about the weather, we talk about sports, we talk about our hobbies, we talk about our job, we talk about our likes and our dislikes, but we never say one word about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did we know that those people needed the gospel? Yes, we did. But we never share the gospel. Why is that? Is, is it because... We don't believe that we have that responsibility? Is it because we do not love their soul enough to share the gospel with them? Or is it because we just don't care? Maybe we think that that's the responsibility of the elders, of the deacons, of the preacher. It's all of our responsibility. All of us have this responsibility to share the gospel of Christ. Now, we can either be dedicated to this task or we can be derelict in this task. But I want to just close by asking this question. One day we're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment. Will there be somebody 
that will point a finger at us, at you or at me, and say, you had the truth. You knew it. You believed it. You said you honored it. But you never shared him with me. That's a haunting thought. Our, our goal, our job, is to save people. How do we do that? Through preaching and teaching the gospel. When Paul talked to the saints in Ephesus, he said that he did it both publicly and privately. All of us have the responsibility of being a watchman. I want you to know that if we do our job, if we sow the seed of the kingdom, God has assured us His word will not return to Him void. The question is, will we do what God has instructed us to do? Souls are at stake. One day we'll stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. It would be my prayer and my plea that there will, that there will be people in heaven because of what we have done, because of our influence. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Our plea to you would be to come to Christ because the Bible says God loves you. God commendeth His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What do you need to do? You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John 8, 24. And then repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. And be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. If you'll do that, the Lord will add you to His church and you'll be numbered among the redeemed, Ephesians 5, verse 23. Maybe you're not faithful to the Lord. Did you know that God wants you to come home? Why not come home today? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why not leave here today a faithful child of God? Would you come as we stand and sing?